Hey, it's Kathy. I'm so excited because, drumroll please, doors are officially open to my program, The Abundance Method. I have been wanting to put this program out in the world for two and a half years. I've been working on it behind the scenes, and this is my signature program. This is the program that is going to teach you the method, the framework for how to become a master manifester in your life. Why is that? Because everything is vibration. We live in a world that is atomic. That means the world is made of atoms, which is energy. 99.9% of every atom is energy and less than 1% particle. So in order for us to manifest in our life, we need to become the highest vibe possible and to sustain that. This program is going to show you how to meditate and how to set your day on the right track so that you have a practice that can help you project your amazing energy into the world, which will bend the 3D, which will help you manifest in ways that you won't even believe. This is a transformative live program. It is designed to help you on this journey of spiritual awakening. It's going to give you tons of tools. I'm going to show you how to change your energy, master the manifestation once and for all, This is the first program of its kind. We're actually trademarking all of this framework because it is something that is so unique and I think you're going to be so excited about learning it. Also, there are some bonuses right now. If you sign up before May 14th, you're gonna get the following. A magic morning journal, which is going to help you every day to set your energy in the right way, daily prompts. Plus, you're gonna get an exclusive podcast so that you can be listening to this program If you can't make the live Zoom calls, we can give it to you on a track so that you can be listening to it like you do a podcast. Also, you're going to get a pack of 10 meditations from me, and you're going to be getting a training that I just gave a workshop called Permission to be Rich, one of the best workshops I've ever done, which you will love. And there is a platinum level to this program. If you choose the platinum level, not only do you get extra coaching calls with me, you also get extra mentor support, but this is really cool. You also get a retreat included. My retreats are normally $3,000. You will get the retreat for free included. Plus, you will get a front row seat at that retreat because you will be on the Platinum VIP track at the retreat. All of this is here for you. I'd love to see you in this program. I want to see you tapping in, turning on to that electricity within you so that you can find your way to the life that you were born to manifest for yourself. You can join us now at kathyheller.com slash join. I cannot wait. Get on in there, see what all the excitement is about. It's going to be so much fun. No innovative breakthroughs occur without patience and persistence towards hard goals. There's nothing special that will happen in our lives that isn't outside of our comfort zones. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, This is the show. This is the show, don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love and I want that for you. This is the show that's gonna help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies. This is gonna help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. This episode is brought to you by the Work in Progress podcast. Work in Progress is a new podcast about the meaning and identity we find in work. It's produced by Slack. Follow along on Twitter at Slack Stories and find more great stories at slack.com slash podcast. That's slack.com slash podcast or at Slack Stories on Twitter. This episode is brought to you by Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective, personalized, world-class workouts, plus extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. You can claim a free trial membership. Just text the word dream job, all one word, no spaces, to 303030 and get full access to this entire platform for free. That's dream job to 303030 for your free trial membership. 
Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. How are you? How was your weekend? How's your week going? What's going on? How are you feeling? Where are you at in your process? Where are you at in your journey? I know that sometimes it can seem like what you want is so far away. It can seem so overwhelming and it can seem like you feel really defeated, right? I mean, it's this way for everybody. You're not alone. Many people are passing through the doorstep of that feeling over and over again. And what I want to do is I want to give you some some thought around that to create some space and to hopefully to create a pathway so that you can start to see a little clearer how you can get there. You know, they've done they've done a lot of studies around this and that's why I have our guest on today, Caroline Miller. She wrote several books. One of them is called Getting Grit. And you know, I've talked about grit a lot and Angela Duckworth, I've talked about her and I've talked about her TED Talk and her book called Grit. It's really important that we think about this for a second because they've gone in the lab and they've done research and the results are in and the results do show that it's not about innate talent. It's not about a person who, you know, just comes out the gate and just has this thing that nobody else has. It's about this persistence. It's about this ability to keep going, but not just to keep going, to look back as you're moving ahead and to say, what are the incremental changes? What are the things that I can continue to do to get that edge so that I'm, I'm walking forward, I'm continuing to persevere, and then I'm, I'm constantly like drilling down and making those little tweaks. And I think that that's like, that's a winner's mindset. When somebody goes to the Olympics, they decide they're coming home with the gold because let's face it, nobody remembers the names of the person who won the silver or the bronze. And that person might've been like half a millimeter behind the other person swimming or running or whatever it is. It could be like half of a point. It could be a quarter of a second. And that's crazy to think about. But what is it that gets that person across to, to, to actually be the person who comes home with the gold? What's the difference? So, you know, there's this old research Erickson did and Malcolm Gladwell talks about it. And you guys have probably heard this thrown around, but there's this idea of like 10,000 hours, right? And you put in 10,000 hours and you're going to have mastery over something, but it's not just 10,000 hours. Like you can't hold a tennis racket for 10,000 hours and hold it the wrong way and practice your swing the wrong way and, and get there. What you need to do is you need to practice 10,000 hours of doing something the right way. And what they found is sometimes it's like a two millimeter difference. Like this person's holding the tennis racket this way and this person holds the tennis racket a two millimeter angle to the right or to the left. And that makes all of the difference in, in the way that they're able to swing, the way that they're able to get their game to the next level. So you might be, somebody said this to me in one of my classes because I'm working a lot with musicians and somebody said, um, he had a teacher who told him you're three and a half minutes away from a million dollars. And what his teacher meant is that if a song is three and a half minutes, you're three and a half minutes away from a single. You're three and a half minutes away, right? So it feels so far away. What we have to do is we have to start to look at our mindset because your mind is telling your body, is telling you what action to take, right? And so it's really important that we get clear. And I wanted to have Caroline on today to help us understand grit a little bit more and to help us acquire it, you know, because in Angela Duckworth's book, the evidence is there. And she talks about grit. She talks about how they've done all these different studies. They've looked at people who have better IQs than other people. They've looked at, looked at people with different different resources that other people didn't have. And what they find time and time again is that it's not the resources, it's not the innate talent, it's the ability to stay with something. Let me read the definition of grit to you. So if you look in the dictionary, the definition of grit, it says um, courage and resolve, strength of character. Okay. And the synonyms with that are bravery and backbone and spirit and steel, fortitude, toughness, hardiness, resolve, resolution, determination, tenacity, perseverance. So 
we have to have this ability to persevere. And like I said to you guys, I talked to Ellen DeGeneres a couple weeks ago and I said to her, what's consistent in people that are successful? And she said, it's this unrelenting drive that keeps you to stay in it and persevere. And this is what it is. So we have to start to ask ourselves, what is it that we're going to be able to hold on to that's going to keep us in the game that's going to keep us going this is really really important how many of you know the story of carrie strug how many of you know the story of this girl from the 1996 atlanta olympics it was heard around the world because for years before the 1996 olympics um everybody kept saying that the americans would always lose to the russians when it came to gymnastics they just kept losing in fact there was always this like commentary and it would drive people crazy because all the people on the news were saying things like well, i don't know john i think the russians have it you're right kimberly i'm not i'm not sure the americans can pull it off they just they're just they're they're cursed you know they're just cursed and 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 this girl carrie strug she just got so sick of it and she said there's just no logical reasons reason why there is some kind of hex like it shouldn't be that year after year that the the russians kept winning it shouldn't be that at every olympics that the americans would come home with their head in their hands she said that just doesn't have to be that way and so she had been training with one person and she started to like go after finding the best coach and someone who could push her even further someone who could push her even further than that and so she went through a few, a few different coaches she found somebody that she felt would really believe in her and see the potential in her even more than maybe she saw in herself and she had already had a couple injuries. You know, she wasn't somebody who everybody said, oh, my eyes are on her. You know, she's going to come home. She's going to win the gold. But she decided, she made a choice. This is what it is. You make a choice in life and you say, I will do this. I will get there. And what happens is you have this potential inside of yourself that so, so many of us, we only even glimpse like a third of it or even less, right? And so we're capable of so much. We're braver. We're stronger. We're so much more courageous than we think. And the truth is that we do have this ability to persist. We do have this ability if we really continue to hone it. So Carrie Strug, for some of you who don't know the story, and a lot of you probably do, and if you don't, you can go back after this and you can Google it and you can watch a lot of video clips. But basically what happened was she decided, she told her entire team, she said, we are going to win this year. We're coming home with the gold, no silver, no bronze, no pat on the back and good job. We're coming home with the gold. We're going to win the Olympics this year. And she got her entire team to think this way. She got her entire team to decide that they're coming home winners. That's it. They're, they're just doing it. They're just going to get the gold. That's it. That's all they have to do. And that's what they're going to do. And so they would come to practice early. They would stay late. They would just, once they were finished, once they just felt like they couldn't go another step, they would push even harder. And they just practiced this way with this sort of mindset. And they got to the Atlanta Olympics and everybody just kept saying that like there was some buzz in the air because they just kept saying like, you know, the Americans just feel really confident this year. I don't know, Marsha. The Americans look really confident. You know, you're right, John, but you know, there's that Russian curse. I don't think the Americans can do it. I don't know either, Marsha. Well, let's see what they've got. You know, like people were talking about it. It was all, it was all a rage. You know, everybody keeps talking about it. It was like this big, this big thing going on. And so of course, you know, they just come out the gate and it was, you know, it's gymnastics. It's, it's, it's a team, you know, and so there's 10 women and one at a time, you know, they go out and they do their, they do their performance and they were just, they were just crushing it. It was like, 9.7, 9.8, 9.6, like every single one. And they were thinking, wow, we really might lock this up. Like everybody was doing it. Everybody was on it. Everybody was fierce. And there was this like confidence and this energy that was just like permeating. That was just so, it was so palpable. Everybody could feel it. Everybody in the stadium. So Carrie goes out and she does this amazing performance. It's like, she's, she just, she just has it and everybody can feel it. And right at the end, right at the end 
she comes down, she comes down and she slams, she cracks her ankle and she's in so much pain and she's sitting on the ground. She cannot move. They cut to commercial. You see all these people rush up. They're trying to like get her, you know, get her up and, and get her back on the bench. And she just, she's just in so much pain. She can't move. And everybody's like, oh my God, like, what are they going to do? You know, like, first of all, she's in so much pain. This poor girl, she's crying. She's holding her leg. She can't, they, she can't even let them pick her up. She's in so much pain. They come back from a commercial. You see, you still see her sitting there and you're like, they're doomed. There's just no way. I mean, she just, she can't move. And everybody knows that in order for them to win, they have to do two rounds. So in the next round, even if all the other nine girls were to get a perfect score, they would still have to do the average. And if she doesn't compete in the next round, they get a zero for her. And so the average, even if everybody else got a perfect score, they could never win. So everybody knows this and everybody's talking about it. And everybody's saying, you know, she came in so confident. She said she was going to go home, but what can she do? She just hurt her ankle so bad. She can't even stand up. She can't even get up, let alone compete. And so she's just sitting there and you can just see she's in total agony. And she just starts to like have this conversation with herself, obviously. And, and next thing you know, not only do we see her get up, but when it comes time for her team to compete, everybody's looking at her. And they call her name and people are, you know, expecting her to just sit this one out. And she just gets up and people just start to cry already because she's in so much pain. It makes me cry even thinking about it. She gets up, she goes out for her turn and she does a phenomenal job. And her ankle is severely broken. She does a phenomenal job. And at the very end, oh my God, this totally makes me cry. At the very end, when she comes down super hard, and she's supposed to come down hard again on that ankle. She lands with two feet so that she can get the score. And then quickly, she gets off of that one foot. So she's just on one foot. And the crowd is crying. People are brought to their feet. Everybody's so moved by this girl. This girl who had this courage. She was able to get herself up. And she does it again. Right? And the Americans win. They win the gold medal. They come home. They win the gold medal. And for the rest of history, everybody knows her name. And she's been on the covers of magazines, covers of Wheaties boxes. You know, she's the girl. And it's not because she was more talented than any of the girls on the Russian team. It's not that she was more talented than any of the girls who, you know, were watching at home on TV who wished that they could be in the Olympics. But what she had, she had this ability to tell herself that no matter what, I'm going to stay in this. And I'm going to keep going, right? And that quality, that's what makes us cry, right? That quality in a person who's willing to keep going no matter what. The whole world is watching you. Your ankle is broken. It's swollen. You're in excruciating pain and you get up you keep going and you deserve to win a gold medal for that. That's what you're winning for. When Michael Phelps wins, when you see people, when you see greatness, when you go to Lincoln Center, when you go to a Broadway show, when you see someone win a Tony, when you see somebody playing, whatever it is that that's their instrument, whether it's sports or whether they're making something incredible, whether they're painters, whatever that greatness is, 
that's what moves you. It's not just that the work is beautiful. You're moved by this quality in this other person that reminds you of what humankind can do. You're moved because you're reminded that this is so special and courageous and it moves us to tears when we see that kind of commitment. And that's really what people are winning for because yeah, that's the way that it works. You can sculpt yourself. You can become Jerry Seinfeld. You can become the person who has the best stand-up of all time. You can become the person who has the best anything and it doesn't matter if it's saturated. It doesn't matter if there's a thousand other people already doing the same thing or if there's two million other people because what matters is there's always going to be room for your story, first of all, because nobody is you. Your perspective is unique. You are unique. But it's that that ability, that courageousness, that humility. It takes confidence. It also takes humility because you have to have the confidence to persevere and to decide that you can accomplish this. But at the same time, you have to have the humility to keep looking at your work and to keep assessing and saying, what could I do better? We live, we live in this culture where people forget that, right? They forget that. And so I wanted to remind you of grit. I want to remind you of this story because everybody here, everybody listening, everybody on the planet, everybody who made it, what are the odds? Like 400 trillion to one that you become a person, right? Everybody who's here, who made it to, to the earth, everybody has a carry drug inside of them. Everybody does. Don't tell me that you don't because it's just not true. It's just not true. Okay. So if she can get up and perform at the Olympics with a broken ankle, you can get up today and decide that there's something inside of you, you know, you've got to do and you can play full out. And when you go to sleep tonight, you should be able to say to yourself, I worked as hard as I could. I did my absolute best. And you know that fulfillment and happiness and true, true joy. It's not just about the money we make. It's not just about the fact that we come home with the gold medal. It's that feeling. It's the other feeling. It's the other part. It's the part where we know we did our absolute best, that we've sculpted ourselves into the person that we're supposed to be, that we didn't leave anything on the table, that we didn't get to the end of our life and say, God, I left so much on the table. There's so much more. There's so much more to me. The world barely saw it. I barely saw it, right? So this is our job. Our job is to wake up every day. Our job is to take what's inside of ourselves and get it out. And like I said to you guys last week, and we've talked about this before, it's not about more hours. It's about energy. It's really about mindset because mindset can either give you energy or certain things that people say and think can totally zap your energy, right? So this is what we need to do. We need to think about these kinds of things. And I want to be here to remind you that you have a carious drug inside of you. I want to be here to remind you that you have infinite potential and so much in you that we want to see the world is waiting for it and if it's in there it's in there for a reason and if you're listening to the show you're listening to the show because you want to be reminded to get out of your own way and you want help you want strategies so you're way ahead of most people who aren't haven't even decided to give it any credence or who have rationalized that they'll never do it and, and here's a million reasons why so you're here you're taking strides you're making effort by the way Every week I've been doing Facebook Live to talk to you guys in more depth and to really explore these ideas with you. It's been really fun. So join me this week, Thursday, September 21st. I'm going to come on at 8 a.m. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll be on the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook page and come talk to me. Tell me what your ideas are. Tell me what your hurdles are. Let me help you. Use the time. Use it because I'm here and I'll be there Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook page and we can talk and we can hang out and I can help you guys explore ideas and it'll be fun.
Thanks to Work in Progress for supporting this podcast. Work in Progress is a new podcast about the meaning and identity we find in work. It's hosted by Dan Meissner. It's produced by Slack. Each episode has stories of rising ambitions and debilitating insecurities, great successes and abject failures, the plans we make, and the luck that happens. They feature amazing journeys about a retiree who jumps back into the workforce as an intern, an artist who tries to rebuild success in a new culture, an entrepreneur who built a baking business despite a disability, and many more. Follow along on Twitter at Slack Stories and find great stories at slack.com slash podcast. That's slack.com slash podcast or at Slack Stories on Twitter. Thanks to Beachbody On Demand for supporting this podcast. Beachbody On Demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs, plus extensive nutritional content all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. So I personally like the 21-day fix. I was amazed at how much you can get done in 21 days. Um, With step-by-step program guides, workout calendars, comprehensive and customizable nutrition plans, and the support of a growing community, Beachbody On Demand is the total package. You can stream over 600 workouts from programs like PIYO, P90X, 21-Day Fix, and Insanity, all proven to deliver amazing results, created by world-class super trainers. Beachbody On Demand also includes the brand new cooking show for healthy weight loss and portion control called Fixate, which also has over 100 recipe videos to help you cook healthy, delicious, and simple recipes for you and your family. It's no surprise that the brand's new service already has over a million members. Get your free trial membership by texting the word dream job, all one word, no spaces, to 303030 and get full access to the entire platform for free. Remember to text dream job to 303030 for full access to this entire platform for free. So without further ado, let's bring on Caroline Miller. So Caroline has written about seven books. One of them is called Getting Grit. She went to Harvard. She went to Penn. She did a TEDx talk, which I loved. And she really is somebody who's sort of helping lead the way. Uh, So you guys know Angela Duckworth wrote this whole book on grit and, you know, created the grit scale. And she said about Caroline, she said, Caroline is a paragon of grit. Bravo. She thought Caroline's keynotes and workshops were really inspiring. And Caroline has been featured uh, in the Washington Post, the New York Times, US News and World Reports. She was the first positive psychology expert to bring coaching and happiness to satellite radio via XM with her positive tip of the day. You guys are going to love her. Let's hear her story and let's hear what she has to say about grit and how we can get it. How can we take what Angela Duckworth is saying? How can we take that research and how can we actually get it and integrate that into our life? So I'm excited to have her here. Let's get started. So happy that you're here with us. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Wouldn't, wouldn't be anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> so Caroline, you've been doing so much incredible work and you've been helping people get out of their own way and understand the way that human nature works and things that we can really use to fuel ourselves and to have better results. Um, and I want to talk about that stuff and I want to see how our <laughs> listeners can benefit from it. But first, I just want to go back to your story and how you came to this and why these topics have inspired you and where does it all start? Well, thanks for asking that because the, the really the genesis of why I care so much about goal setting and particularly big hard goals and what it actually takes to get to the finish line of the big hard life-changing goals is rooted in my background and my um, fight with bulimia back in the 70s into the early wow. 80s. And people thought it wasn't addictive. It was just like, hey, try it. This is you know, free lunch. You can do whatever you want. Eat as much as you want and get rid of it. So what I often say is I signed my death warrant in ninth grade because I, I got into it. As, I'm a competitive swimmer. I, you, know, it's, you don't want to be fat in your bathing suit and racing, that's for sure. And um, it's a disease of addiction, and it, it meets all the criteria for addiction. And it, once you're into it, it's exceptionally difficult to get out of it. 
um, much like alcoholism, uh, bulimia tends to run in families with depression and alcoholism, and that is the case in my family. So I was a sitting duck for addiction. It just happened to become food. So this was my secret. Nobody knew. It went on through high school. I kept thinking, well, if I, you know, change my environment, it'll go away. So I ended up at Harvard, and, you know, that didn't help. I get worse there. Then I thought, well, I got married. Well, I got married a week after Harvard. That didn't help. So I hit my last bottom in 84. Yeah, and I, at that point, people might have trouble believing this, but it was a hopeless disorder. People didn't live through this. People died. Um, So there was no hope out there. There was Karen Carpenter who died. And so no one's talking about it. No one's getting better. It's just a big, deep, dark secret. We're kind of aware that all these other people are dealing with it, but still it's the elephant in the room. And I, um, am fortunate enough to find myself in a 12-step group where somebody said, my name's Betsy, and I'm getting better one day at a time. And that sentence changed everything, changed me, changed my life. That's why I'm alive. It gave me my ikigai, you know, that which I wake up for, my purpose, because I did get better. And all of the ingredients of grit, all of the ingredients of goal setting, hard goal setting, were present in my failure and in my hitting my last bottom, because I had to pick myself up. I had to get better one day at a time. I had to develop the ability to give away. You can't keep what you don't give away. Um, And so as I got better one day at a time, week at a time, month at a time, year at a time, now three plus decades of unbroken recovery, what I've continued to do is give back to other people, but also unpack how did I get better? How did I get better and stay better? So I became a student of goal setting and an executive coach and went back to school 12 years ago to Penn to the Master's in Applied Positive Psychology program. And you know, really wanted to understand how do people set and accomplish big goals? And then what are the secret sauce ingredients you need to get to the finish line of big, hard goals that are life-changing, like saving your own life, in my case. It's amazing. Caroline, as you're talking, you're you're saying it. It's so fascinating. It makes my mind like light up with like bells. I'm like, oh, I want to know everything that she knows. And you didn't just like (laughs) study it in like an online coaching program. Not that there's anything wrong with those. Like you went to Harvard and Penn to study positive psychology. So what an, and it's so brave of you to have shared what you just shared with all of us. And it's true. What else, what what would be a better example? Where would the stakes have been higher Mm. than in getting yourself through this life-threatening illness? you know, have hope. That woman, Betsy, who said, my name is Betsy and I'm recovering from bulimia one day at a time. She gave me hope. And when you give people hope that they can accomplish their goal, you give them the keys to the kingdom. And so the first thing you want to have when you're setting big goals and you have dreams for change, reinvention, going in another direction, being an entrepreneur, doing anything hard is you have to have hope. Um, hope theory says that when you have hope, your brain changes and, um, it's called pathways thinking. So you want to have hope and there's a lot of ways to have hope. So that would be the first thing I'd say. If you have hope, you can change. And I was hopeless and the state of being hopeless is goalless. And so, um, once I had hope, I had goals. I projected myself into the future. I saw myself as someone who was able to overcome. And, and that's some, something we studied at, at Penn, which is, you know, best possible future self. You have to have a vision of who you want to become because you can't hit a target you can't see. And so you start with hope. The hope is attached to goals and, and projects that you see yourself doing. You need to surround yourself with the right people. And I cannot say enough about 
the research on relationships, how women often get this wrong. And I think this really holds women back. So I surrounded myself with people who were living the life I wanted, had the values I wanted, and were, were giving away their recovery one day at a time. Okay. Well, th- that's very, very inspiring. And so let's go into... Let's go into the topic of grit a little bit deeper because people say that they throw that word around. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about it. But then there's this whole idea of like, well, how do I get that? Right. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> how do I break that down? And how do I actually have more of that? So can we can we talk about that? If you're somebody who's like, great, I'm on board. I need to have mm-hmm. grit. Tell mm-hmm. me first, define for me what that is. What is grit? Well, I'm going to answer it in two parts. One is my friend and mentor in many ways, Angela Duckworth, came out with the book Grit last May. Um, and it's a huge bestseller. It's been translated into 30 languages. So yeah. it's her research that really prompted me to go deeper into this. And her definition is passion and persistence in pursuit of long-term goals. And I believe that except I have a twist on it because I work with people. And that's where my my joy and my passion is, is helping other people develop grit. Because I had to. For all my accomplishments and my bumper sticker virtues, I didn't have grit. So it was my bulimia. So a lot of times I'm like talking about this on the show. People are writing in so many questions and people think that they all have different questions. It's all this question. This is how it looks. (laughs) Hi, Kathy. What happens when you're feeling inspired, but then you have 12 12 days in a row where you don't feel inspired? Hey, Kathy, what if I had this idea, but nothing happened? So I feel like giving up. And it's like, oh my gosh, how do I help people learn how to get grit? And I'm like, oh, Caroline's going to teach us how to do this. (laughs) That is an incredible thing that you, you know, yes, you give her this, like you give her the credit and the kudos for coming up with this research, but then you went further and said, okay, how do I take your research and help people get it. And you also say in the book early on that society contributes to reducing grit. Yeah. What does that mean? Why does society (laughs) help us? Why does it reduce it as opposed to help it? Well, the standards in uh, the United States, but not just the United States, all over the world from what I'm seeing and hearing and going around and talking um, to people in other countries, what we found is the self-esteem parenting movement created a beast, a really terrible two-headed beast, which was instead of making people feel better, so if you praise your children and make them happy at all costs, the thinking was they will then feel so good about themselves, they will work very hard and, and do great work. That didn't happen. Carol Dweck's work talks about fixed and growth mindset. And if you continue to praise people for no effort, they develop a fixed mindset and they don't go out of the comfort zone. So that was a huge piece of what happened. Then we had like these litigious standards, even to playgrounds where you can't get hurt on a playground anymore. There's no thrill-seeking or risk-taking. Kids don't climb trees. They're always, quote-unquote, safe. They grew up with, uh, you know, the milk cartons on the the breakfast table with the missing children on the back. I could go on and on, but recently what I just added in is my understanding that the medical profession also changed in the 90s to the point where a, a good patient experience was to have no pain. You had to be out of pain completely. So here come the opioids. And so this idea that everyone should be happy at all costs really dumbed down standards. And as a result, our society, our schools, our standards have resulted in a lack of grit because we don't pursue hard goals and we don't celebrate the pursuit of hard goals. And that's become a massive challenge that I really think we have to turn around one person at a time. Yeah, no, that's really when you when you put it all together like that in the list about the playgrounds and and the parents wanting everyone to feel good it, it 
it really does um it dulls that sensitivity and and then you mm-hmm. you feel like if you're uncomfortable there's something wrong exactly and and there's an epi- epidemic of suicide now among teens partly because they're saying they haven't grown up feeling any pain they haven't grown up thinking they have to work through things they don't have to work for their grades there's grade inflation so there's a lot of really awful fallout from this idea that we should be happy at all costs without trying for it so we talk about how you know how that definitely plays a role how the way society sort of teaches us to be comfortable and you you mentioned what good grit is all about and mm-hmm. and that if it inspires other people why do we need this grit why is it so important because whenever you see real greatness whenever you see things that are um authentically awesome things that awe you that that cause you to get to your feet give a standing ovation just stand up cuz you're witnessing something amazing you see grit. Grit is at the heart of all of those moments um, because none of the things that truly awe us um, are easy. So when you see, for example, a a pitcher at a baseball game entering the ninth inning with a no-hitter going, everyone stands up, you know, because they're they're witnessing greatness. They're witnessing someone who is finally honed their craft. Um, Same thing at musical concerts, you know, and I could go on and on and on. So that's why it matters is because no innovative breakthroughs occur without patience and persistence towards hard goals. There's nothing special that will happen in our lives that isn't outside of our comfort zones. And we know that from research. We know from goal setting theory that highest and best performance is outside your comfort zone. But too many people seek to stay safe. And so grit matters. When you look at every turning point in history, every single turning point in history, there stands one figure who started a movement who got followers because of the grit and the passion they brought to a cause and how they dealt with the indignities. Think Martin Luther King of what was thrown at them, you know, the self-regulation. They got followers and because they got followers, they changed the world. So that's why grit matters. Grit is the secret sauce to the greatest changes that have occurred in the history of man. Okay. So just for the clarity purposes, give us a a three-sentence definition of what authentic grit is. What does that really look like? Authentic grit is the passionate pursuit, okay, passion and pursuing hard goals that awe and inspire others. So you're pursuing big goals that don't diminish other people. They inspire others as you pursue them that are outside of your comfort zone where you're going to have to take positive risks. And in the process, you will live your best life. That's authentic grit. It is the pursuit of hard things outside of your comfort zone um, where you have to take risks. But in that process, other people are better simply by virtue of witnessing it and being around you. And then you become your best self and start a ripple effect in society and in the communities around you. It's really amazing. I mean, you're talking about it from a very holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. This is not just about winning a race. This is about being your best self and finding the thing you're most passionate about and then inspiring other people. So this is like your life's work. Yes. Um, Yes. What if you're a person who's saying, you know, like I said earlier on, you read Angela Duckworth's book, you're like, great. And how do I get that? So mm-hmm. if I'm feeling like I I can be really inspired, I'll listen to Caroline's interview, I'll be inspired for like three days, and then mm-hmm. it goes away. Mm-hmm. How do I cultivate this in myself? 
Well, a couple ways. So I, I do walk people through it in the book. And then I should mention that my fifth book, Creating Your Best Life, is the first evidence-based goal-setting book ever published. So that book was the, oh. my capstone. So that book is the first evidence-based footnoted book on how to set and accomplish goals. And I, I it's hard to... About that. Well, what's interesting is I think until that book came out, the law of attraction kind of was ruling the roost in goal setting. And that's a magical approach to goal setting. If you want it, you can have it. And it and it's it really, right. And it, it's dangerous because it leads people to believe that they failed or maybe they haven't wanted it enough. They haven't brought enough passion. So um, one of the first things you need to do is to have goals that are authentically yours, not someone else's goals. There's something that you will pursue in your free time that's that you're interested in. Even if you don't get a like on Facebook, even if other people aren't interested, even if, you know, you have to do it alone or you have dark nights of the soul, it has to be something that lights you up and in the process makes, makes the world better. If it's just about you, about uplifting you, about being a winner, that's what I call selfie grit. There's nobody yeah. who is bettered by virtue of somebody just trying to promote themselves. So mm -hmm. people have interests too often. What they don't have are passions. And our society has um, kind of promoted, yeah, this check the box, you know, do piano for a while, then do lacrosse, and then volunteer a little bit, and then you have the right mm -hmm. resume, and then you go to college and, yeah. you know, try a few things. But what we're really looking for are deep abiding passions, things that we return to both mentally and physically, um, because they feel incomplete in our minds. And yeah. the reason why this has gone missing in society partly is because it's said we live in an awe-deprived society. You know, we've cut, you know, funding for the music and the arts. People yeah. aren't witnessing greatness the way we used to. It's not as routine oh, wow. to see it. Yeah. So you don't see examples of grit as much. And we don't have patience. I mean, when you look at my chapter on patience, people have to cultivate the ability to wait for a website to load. I hate to start there, but most people oh. navigate away from a website loading. Um, in three seconds. So there are a lot of exercises I have in the book about not just how to set goals, how to determine what your passions are, how to improve your emotional flourishing. People do not succeed at goals until they're flourishing first. That's one of the key messages of creating your best life that no one had ever heard before. But the research is so clear cut. It's slam dunk. It's hundreds of findings that were stuck in academia that people only succeed after they're happy first. So you have to attend to that part of getting grit. So it's all of these ingredients. Wow, it's wow. patience. It's perseverance. It's being resilient. It's having a gritty mindset, developing the, the ability to change the channel in your head. And, and so that's why people can come to my book and dip into it in different places. Because some people have self-regulation, but they don't have passion. Some people have passion, but they don't have the ability to delay gratification. So you have to start where you are and then begin to explore the areas where you don't yet have mastery. And yeah, that's I how you that. get gritty. It's a, it's a multi-step process. Well, I'm, there's so much here, and this is why people need to read the books. But I want to just give people one little bite size. You mentioned exercises. What's one, what's one little bite size thing you can do or think about um, to just kind of, kind of self-regulate and calm down if you're having a hard time being patient or if you're feeling like you're about to lose the grit and give up? What's one thing you might be able to chew on? Get off technology for a day. 
and see what it's like to pay attention to other people, to the world, to the things that are enduring and around you, so that you begin to be struck by things that aren't just instantaneously changing. You know, phones are like slot machines. They're addictive and no, nothing good comes out of them. I'm serious. And so when people can't sustain interest and they're always on the phone changing, you know, changing what they're looking at or thinking about, there's no deep work. There's a lot of work on research on deep work. You have to be able to focus. And I think the second thing I would say is begin to learn how to create a mindset that is gritty in the sense that things get hard. They get hard emotionally. They get hard physically. The people with grit have the ability to change the channel in their heads and go to a place that keeps them going. And it's it's totally individual. So everybody can do it because there isn't just one solution. Some people have a biblical phrase. Some people have a vision of what they're trying to accomplish that spurs them on. Some people have a song. Some people have um, a collection of people that they think about, um, people they're doing something for, um, who are raising money for a cause, for example. But you have to have the ability to do that because from sports psychology, one thing we know is that the body only quits working at something when the brain commands it to stop working. Wow, and so, that's powerful. Yep, all signals start in your head. Mindset is at the core of grit. Wow, that is powerful. Mm -hmm. Can I tie um, it back to my eating disorder for a moment? Sure, whatever you want. <laughs> well, because one of the things that intrigued me was, how did I get better? How did I get better when so many people didn't? And what I realized is that a huge piece of it were the slogans that you hear and see on the walls in 12-step meetings. So when I was tempted to binge or you know do something self-destructive, what would pop into my head were these short, pithy slogans that would then hijack me and take me in a different direction. And they saved like my life. First things first attitude of gratitude, one day at a time, keep it simple, stupid. Um, you know, in the case of my eating disorder, this phrase that kept me from binging quite often was the first bite is the best. It made sense to me. You know, if the first bite's the best, why have the second, third, and fourth? Why even start on a binge? And so these phrases are the equivalent of what I hear about when I interview people who've caught spies for after years of trying to you know, catch them, people who have done extraordinarily difficult physical things. Everybody has something that hijacks their brain in the best possible way when they want to quit and they keep going and they don't stop. And it's all mindset. That is awesome. Oh my God. It's so powerful. And it makes sense how one thing, one thought, it can really hijack everything and just get you back on track. And everyone can do it. Everyone. Nobody who's listening to this is incapable of doing that. So in your other book, which is all about creating your best life, mm -hmm. we, you talk about how to identify and pursue what's most meaningful so mm -hmm. that you then can apply the grit to that. This question comes up all the time. People will email me and they'll say, there's 16 things I like to do. I like to knit. I like to make movies. I like to draw. I like, you know, how do I know which one to pick? How mm -hmm. do you identify the thing that you're really supposed to be doing in this world? How do you identify the thing that really is it? I think there's several ways to approach that. One is what draws you back over and over? Where can you bring your strengths and your talents to bear um, where working hard at it will, will get you better and better and put you in a position to accomplish hard things that are important to you? So you have to talk about strengths and talents when you talk about what you're passionate about because you also want to develop 
Um, the ability to bring your creativity, for example, if you're high in creativity, you want to be able to pursue something that allows that to emerge. So you have to work with some of your innate God-given talents. But you also have to experiment. I mean, for some people, the difficulty of sitting with something before it's easy is what you know, gets them away from it. They don't want to sit with the discomfort of learning scales, for example. They love music, right. but they don't want to sit there and practice. So I think you have right. to go. You have to go back to that. I also think there's a, a wonderful exercise, um, research-based, called "Best Possible Future Self," and that little exercise has been found to have more extraordinary outcomes around well-being and zest and pursuit of goals. And what it is, very simply, is you sit down and you write for three days in a row, 20 minutes at a time, what your life looks like in 10 years if failure is not an option, if everything goes as well as possible, um, if you know, if you could be doing anything you wanted, what does it look like? Because it does some very powerful things that people don't really know about. One is it resolves a, a condition called goals and conflict. And that's a, that's a subset of goal setting theory. Most people don't know that they have goals and conflict where if they pursue one, it's at the, it's at the expense of another one that they also value. And they don't realize that the research shows that those goals are in conflict unless one moves up very decisively and deliberately and another one moves down. Because it's not that one is bad and one is good. It's that they're both good, but you can't pursue them at the same time. So the research shows you'll stagnate. You'll just be stuck and you'll go, what? What, what happened to me? Why am I not making progress? I want to make progress. Um, so that little exercise clarifies big goals, short-term goals, the people who, want, who you need to have around you, who you need to learn from. You also want to have the humility to say you don't know how to do something. So I find that people might say, I'm not good at anything, but they don't pair it with a willingness to apprentice themselves to the craft of learning something. And that is so important because we've really had humility gone AWOL. We have such a selfie culture, people posting their CrossFit workouts on Facebook, you know, this humble brag thing, or always talking about what we've done. I mean, what's so egregious when we we look at the military is that, you know, the Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill actually felt compelled to go public and say, I'm the one who shot Osama bin Laden. That's never happened. Special forces don't do this. They're the quiet professionals. But our culture has now cultivated this idea that you must come out and talk about how great you are. And so you have to have the willingness to have intellectual humility and social humility, which means you have to be aware of what you don't know and be willing to go learn from other people and be curious. And that's a huge piece of getting gritty is because you have to be able to find out what you don't know and be willing to sit there and and find out what, what you can learn over a long period of time quite often. And so that that's hard. <laughs> so th- yeah, that is very hard. And you're absolutely right. We do live in this culture where people are, it's like, you feel like there's something wrong with you. If you admit that you need to learn something, you know, or you actually need to grow because you're supposed to have it all together and you're supposed to talk about what you've done already. Right. Um, so as far as that goes, is, is this something that you might suggest to like, to an art that would apply to our entire audience. Like let's say somebody wants to be a fashion designer or somebody wants to have a makeup line or somebody mm-hmm. wants to be a screenwriter. Would you suggest that one of the things that maybe even evidence there's evidence for that there's research that shows that um, you should be apprenticing someone? Is that one of your best bets to not just work on your own? Uh, but is that really something that will help you get, yeah. you know, yeah. further 
Yes. Why is that? Okay. okay. And what, do you, what would you say about that? It's social contagion theory. And so one of the, the first and best ways to change yourself is to change your environment. And changing your environment includes changing the kinds of people you're around. And so behaviors are contagious. Happiness is contagious. Grit is contagious. When you're around people who are doing something that you want to do, where you can observe how they're doing what they're doing, you have an opportunity to internalize what the values are in this, in this organization or with this person. What do you have to do? It may sound great if you're reading about it, but you have to see it. It might be harder than you think it is. And so there's even this line of thought and research showing that kids should not even visit colleges, you know, because what they do is they get colored by the fact that it's raining or it's sunny. They, they have a good experience on campus right. or not. The best way to choose a college has, they found is to talk to people who went to that college. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in that. So you want to be around people, A, who bring out the best in you, who are curious and enthusiastic about what it is you're pursuing. They're not pessimistic or putting you down. And women, women do a terrible job at this. Most women are surrounded by frenemies who will rain on their parade because they're not changing. They're not growing. They're not going out of their comfort zone. And women accommodate these people because they don't want to be seen as not nice. And so you yeah. change the people, but then you go spend time and, and literally do like a staycation where you apprentice to somebody. There's a lot of brilliance to the medieval kind of um, act of apprenticing, being in a guild. Greatness comes from that. That's awesome. Um, I have another question because often there'll be this conflict. I'll be having a conversation with people and this will come up a lot where somebody will say, I'm sorry, Kath, I know you're really into this whole idea that everyone can accomplish what they want, but there's a, there's a fact, which is that, you know, some people will say, yeah, they can do it, but I know, like, if somebody doesn't have talent, don't encourage them to be a basketball player. They're never going to be in the NBA. Don't encourage this person to do stand-up. They're not funny. Do you think that if people work hard enough that they can achieve results, or do you think that there's an innate skill, and if they don't have it, they don't have it? Okay, there's a lot to that question. The first thing is you have to work with your skills and talents, the things that you're passionate about. If you have absolutely no aptitude for something and also no passion for it, there's nothing that's going to sustain you through the dark times. You will fall away from it. And that's why the word passion is in the definition for grit. Um, and so you have to have some kind of innate interest and passion for something. But I do know from the research, and, I, and I'm completely evidence-based and research-oriented here, goal-setting theory is very clear that the best results come from doing doing hard, challenging work outside of your comfort zone in pursuit of mastery. Now, maybe you won't get to the moon, but you're going to get a whole lot further and closer to your goal if you're actually doing that kind of hard work. And you don't want to have this unrealistic optimism. When I talk about intellectual humility, part of that is being able to take in guidance from other people and the environment that tell you when it's time to pivot, that maybe you're banging your head against a wall and there's another way to go about what you're striving to do that might get you to a slightly different goal, but something that has the same resonance and value to you. Because whenever any of my clients come to me and say, I have this goal or that goal, my first question is always, so what? So what? How are you better? How does this change your life? How does this make other people's lives better? How does this contribute you know, to society to have you accomplish this goal? Because what you're trying to figure out is, is it, is it an extrinsic goal or is it an intrinsic goal? And so you have to get to the heart of that too. But can you accomplish absolutely anything out there? 
Probably not, but can you accomplish a whole lot more? As John F. Kennedy said, we choose to go to the moon because it's hard. Seven years later, after that speech in 1963, we put a man on the moon. That was unthinkable at one point. Google X is the lab of moonshot dreams. They're, they're trying to accomplish completely um, goals that people think cannot be accomplished. And in 2005, one of them was the self-driving car. 12 years later, there are self-driving cars on the road. And so I'm not in the business of saying things are impossible, um, but I do know that people are often capable of far more than they give themselves credit for. And, and one of the standards for being determined as a leader in the military, 50% of your score is whether or not you help other people believe they have the ability to do things they've never done before. And you want to be surrounded by those people. You want to be surrounded by positive energizers who make you 10 feet tall, but they're not feeding you a line. They see you. They know you. They know what you're capable of. And they push you towards greatness, not towards mediocrity, towards greatness. And that has gone missing in our society in just about every domain that, that exists. And that's where we need to turn things around. Wow. I was like, just like captivated because I'm I'm hanging on every word you're saying. It all, <laughs> it all makes so much sense. But what's really cool is that not only are you so passionate about it, not only have you lived it, but there's research behind what you're saying. Right. So it's like, it's so compelling. You're like, you can't dispute this. This is evidence-based. This has been, you know, looked at in a lab. This is real. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have so many other things that you've covered in your books and, and you have um, a workbook called Your Happiest Life Workbook. Mm -hmm. Tell us for a second, because I ultimately think like that John Lennon quote, you know, his mom said, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be happy. Um, <laughs> I think that everybody really wants to be happy, but most people I know are not. Yeah, uh, that's true. Why, why is that? I think when you pursue happiness for happiness's sake, you end up kind of empty. Happiness is the byproduct of doing things like giving to others, pursuing what you love, um, being proud of other people, being in awe. You know, it changes your chemistry to be in the presence of things that are awesome, like nature. Um, that's what brings happiness. Happiness isn't happyology and just kind of airy-fairy going to the mall and buying things you like. That's empty happiness. What you're looking for is a meaningful, purposeful life where you wake up with a reason to get up, a reason that draws you forward. That's what brings happiness. And I think that's one of the biggest myths about positive psychology is it's not that we're seeking to just be happy. We're seeking to create the conditions that bring about well-being and emotional flourishing. Yeah, that makes sense. Give us a little, a little sneak peek into like one one of those, a tiny peek into one of those exercises about being in your happiest life. How do you, how do you make that happen? What's one thing that you talk about in the workbook? Meditation, mindfulness training, silver bullet of the positive psychology world. It actually restructures your brain. And that's been studied at the University of Wisconsin with Richie Davidson, the Dalai Lama. That's real stuff. The act of giving to other people. When you look at the tragedies that have been occurring in our country with Hurricane Harvey and what just happened in Florida, one of the things that is so apparent is that people are rushing to help. Mm -hmm. We are always waiting for opportunities Absolutely. to feel needed. And so yeah. giving is one of the best things you can do for yourself. And the last yeah. one I'll say is gratitude. Just being able to say thank you, being able to scan your day in your life for opportunities to give thanks to other that's people. Awesome. That's huge. Stories really help to make these messages take flight. Yeah. So the last thing is everybody's listening right now. Everybody is probably feeling very inspired What's your advice to the people listening? What's your advice to those people who want to have 
a much more fulfilling existence. They'd love to be successful doing the thing that they love, mm -hmm. doing the thing that they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, they're just not there yet. What's your advice to them? Well, I think some of the things I've mentioned already about mindset and changing, you know, the environment, being around people who are curious and enthusiastic, I think that's all important. Um, so that's part of my answer. But I think the biggest thing I would say is change the internal question you ask yourself when faced with challenges from why to why not. If you say why not, why shouldn't I go for it? It changes your instinctive reaction to challenges or opportunities. Why not opens your eyes up uh, and your experiences up to unexpected things. And why not is how you avoid the biggest regret that people see in hospice care. The number one regret of people who are on death's doorstep is that they lived someone else's life, not the life that they oh, wanted yeah. to live. And I think the why not question, if you can just change why to why not, a lot of behaviors follow that. And from those behaviors come very different outcomes. And that can change the course of your life. That is um, nothing short of life-changing and profound, what you just said. Uh, one last question before you go. Mm -hmm. Where can people find you? Where can people find you? Where can they find your books? Where can they get more of you? Oh, gosh. Thank you for asking. And thank you for a great interview and this opportunity for me. Um, my website is like the clearinghouse for all things Caroline. Um, okay. And that's carolinemiller.com. And from there, you can see all of my books. Um, I wrote seven. Um, one is ghostwritten, so I can't talk about it. But um, I wrote seven books. Six of them are available on my website website. A lot of them are still available in bookstores around the world too. So, and the workbook you mentioned, so everything's there and, um, I appreciate feedback. You know, I love to hear from people about if this struck them in the right way, why, why did it strike you? Because I learned from everyone who, who gets in touch with me. It's just Caroline at carolinemiller.com. Well, you guys, that's extremely generous, what she just said. So if I were you and I heard that from someone as smart as her, I might just take advantage of that. Um, thank you so much for not only sharing all this with us, but being the person who herself lived this and um, is here to tell this story because you actually did, you know, you, you practice what you preach. And um, it is so inspiring and it's so helpful. Um, everything that you shared is uh it's something that if everybody incorporated even one or two of the things that you said, uh, they, they might have a major uh, shift and have a completely different life. So thank you for everything. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, everybody, you should go find out more and read more and, and enjoy her because there's just so much great stuff there. Thank you. That was so great. I love listening to that. And I love having that conversation. All right, here's some takeaways. Number one, when you're fighting your faults, your downfalls, your addictions, have hope. It's going to get better. Number two, the state of being hopeless is goalless. When you have hope, you have goals. Number three, pursuing the best version of yourself is the most inspiring thing you can do for others. Number four, there's nothing special that will happen in our lives that isn't outside of our comfort zones. Number five, have goals that are authentically yours, not someone else's. Number six, step away from technology for a day. Get awestruck by things that aren't instantaneously changing. Number seven, build the mindset that things will get hard. Then find the channel that pushes you to keep going. Number eight, the body only quits something when the brain commands it to stop working. Number nine, have humility to say you don't know something and be willing to go learn it. Number 10, surround yourself with people who bring out the best in you. Know what you're capable of and push you towards greatness, not mediocrity. Number 11, happiness is a byproduct of helping other people and being thankful. And number 12, when you're facing hard challenges, change your internal question from why 
to why not? Why shouldn't it be me? Why shouldn't I go for it? Okay, well, thank you for joining us. I'm going to talk to you guys next week. If you want to join us on Facebook Live, come on over to the Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook page at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll be there to answer your questions for an hour. I'll be there to hang out with you and brainstorm and just give you more support. So come on and join us. You can follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller, kathy with a C. And I hope that this episode just moves the needle a little further. I hope that something that was said today reminds you of what you're capable of and gives you some strategies to stay in it because there's so much waiting for you and the world is waiting to see what you've got. And we really, really need it. If you're put here and you've got that inside you, it's there for a reason. We need it. We want it. It's going to make the world a more beautiful place. Okay, so every week I've been playing you guys one of my songs at the end of every episode. Um, so this one is called This Is It. I wrote this song with Kyler England. It was produced by Billy Leffler. And this song is all about deciding, you know, that we're going to make the most of our time, that this is it. It's not a dress rehearsal. And we don't have to wait for our birthdays. We don't have to wait for New Year's Eve in order to have this little feeling like this is it. We actually can feel that way every Tuesday and every, you know, day of the month of May and every day, you know, of the week and every Sunday. Um, this really is it. And I hope that this song reminds you to make the most of it and inspires you to keep marching forward. So this is called This Is It. By the way, you can hear all my songs on iTunes if you search for Kathy Heller. Um, I hope you guys have an awesome day. I'll see you guys on Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Facebook Live on Don't Keep Day Jobs Facebook page. And you can hit me up on Instagram and I'll see you there. Have a great one. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. Who knows what tomorrow holds? So don't